Welcome to the Early Years Conversation podcast with myself, Kate Moxley and Kerry Payne, EYFS for me. I always like to introduce you with your um, social media handle for some reason. It's just like a, a, a pre-prepared speech that comes out of my mouth. We are delighted to be recording some Early Years Wellbeing Week special edition podcasts. And today we are delighted to be joined by Andrew Cowley, Deputy Head Teacher, Wellbeing Blogger for Healthy Toolkit and the Education Support Partnership, and the author of the best-selling The Wellbeing Toolkit, which is a guide to the principal leadership of wellbeing for school staff. Thank you for joining us today, Andrew. Okay, my pleasure, Kate. Thank you for inviting me along. Well, thank you to Kerry. No worries. So at the start of our podcast, we always like to check in with how we are all feeling and um, think it's just really important to encourage these safe space conversations and encourage people to kind of do the same. So how are you feeling, Andrew? How am I feeling? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, we're at the end of September almost, and it feels like it's the end of term. Um, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like being Christmas tired at the moment um, we don't have as much to do any more than we have done in terms of planning uh, and assessing in the classrooms but it's everything else that's currently coming with it um, the the concerns that teachers have about making sure that they are safe their children are safe the children's families and their own families are safe uh, is an immense extra pressure on everyone and particularly having to work in a way that is different from what we've done before. Um, parts of the school are, are seeing children working in rows uh, and in groups that they wouldn't do before. Free flow is very much more restricted uh, and it's everyone is much more watchful at the moment. So that's not just for my school, that's in pretty much every school around the country and uh, regardless of phase as well. Uh, so there's um, we're all feeling very different and uh, we, we let's just say we all look forward to the end of the week end of the working week and to uh, getting home and trying to uh, to unwind and uh, relieve some of the pressures that are, we, we are suffering in addition to uh, what we normally would yeah absolutely and mm. I follow you on Twitter so you had described Christmas tired um, yes. about a week or so ago and mm. Um, I think, you know, that the feed, you know, I think most people can kind of relate to that Christmas tired, that absolute, it's that almost exhaustion. And I, I, when I was working in a school, I kind of, you always almost feel as well, like the Christmas break was never really the opportunity to properly rest because Christmas, yeah. lots of us who celebrate um, Christmas would be, um, usually busy partying or catching up with friends and family so it never really becomes kind of a restful time um, and but also it's concerning isn't it to think about how Christmas tired we all are at this point of the year and I think it really just sums up in a way that lots of people can can relate to um, and I suppose it makes me just think about how urgently we really need to think about, um, we can't just hold on for half terms and the Christmas break and October yeah. half terms and weekends. We have to be incorporating, um, you know, self-care seems such a, uh, self-care never seems like it's enough, but it's, all, it's more than self-care, isn't it? It's really prioritizing and taking precious care of your health and well-being, and, and, and that's something that's really, really tricky at the moment when so many things are outside of our control. 
Exactly. There's so much. I mean, we can't we can't control what's happening with the virus. We can't control what uh, governments or local authorities are saying about controlling the virus. We just need to be looking at uh, yeah, making our, sure we sell ourselves are safe, which is yeah, an issue in itself. Um, we can keep ourselves as separate from uh, risk as we can. That's easier said than done um, because it's something we simply can't see. Um, we as teachers, we sort of live our lives. We sort of go out shopping. So every time you go to the supermarket, for example, um, you must look nervously at those people who don't wear masks or come to you closely or lean over your basket on the way to the chicken or the sausages, for example. So um, that, that, that's something exactly something we can't control, but we can't, we can't live in a bubble, go home, uh, and then turn back up to school the next day. We, we're we still human beings, and that's the most um, the most important thing. We can't lose that element of, of our thinking. We are we're living, breathing creatures, and our well-being ex experience is lived and breathed by everyone in our organisations as well. Yeah, that's really true, isn't it? I mean, um, within your book, the well-being toolkit that we mentioned at the in our introduction um you know there's there's this real importance to define well-being um and, and you know thinking about what it is and what it isn't as you just said within our communities within our workplaces when things are outside of our control um i suppose just understanding what that you know how we how we do define it how would you define it explain it for people who may not have read um your book just yet well, when I um, when I started writing, what I actually started doing was thinking about what well-being isn't, because um, as a tale I do, I, I tell in the book how I went to the London Mayor's Conference just over three years ago now, and um, the, the discussion was on um, recruitment and retention within teaching authority, uh, teaching in schools in London, and um, we broke up into a discussion, and one of the head teachers in my group said, oh, suppose we can try this, this, this being nice thing, this well-being. And uh, I sort of rolled my eyes, I didn't comment, but I thought, if that's what you think well-being simply is, just being nice, then that's not the way you're actually going to retain children, teachers in your school. Um, there's nothing wrong with being nice and, and kind, but it's making sure that that is valued. Because if you're simply nice, then you'll be taken advantage of. And uh, that's not what well-being is. Yeah. You need to be more principled. And it's, um, it's not individual things like uh, the, bars, the bars of chocolate on the Castavarin table on a Friday lunchtime or the occasional cake, uh, because that doesn't make up for... Um, a school where there aren't principals and you're working your staff into the ground. The, the, the cream egg at Easter doesn't, isn't an apology, it's a token. Um, we can't be tokenistic with, with well-being because, uh, to go, go back to what I said before, we're dealing with, with people and people who've got feelings and people have anxieties, um, people have ailments. There are things that make them anxious. They are, there are things that they suffer with health-wise which we need to be fully aware of 
uh, if you want to get well-being well established in your school what you've actually got to do is actually know your staff what makes them tick uh, it's not just knowing where they went on holiday it's not just knowing names of their children it's actually knowing what makes them motivated uh, to come into to come into work is it purely altruistic i want to do the best for children or is there more more to it because you're dealing with a team of people all coming with different skills different skill sets different interests and you need to know them and you can't meet well-being as a tick box exercise uh, it's not something you do because the inspectors are looking for it it's something you do because you you mean it and you want to look after the people you work with so they're in a position to actually deliver a good curriculum and I'm not just talking about the national curriculum but to support everyone who's who's there in your building yeah okay just excuse me i just had a knock on my door i was going to say okay. it's actually quite interesting isn't it how yeah, a lot of discussions that we've been into already are around boundaries yeah. and this concept and who was the other person that we've spoken to i've forgotten uh, rosie and so far um hannah hannah yes so we've spoken to an area manager a teacher a childminder and each one of them has come back to this point around well-being and the concept of being nice is sometimes where we're making that error because we're then not putting those boundaries in place that actually protect everyone, including our, our own well-being. So we are just saying, Andrew, we've interviewed a few people um, this last week and this concept of, of kindness and being nice at all times as a prerequisite to, to well-being is actually people are, are developing a misconception that that is well-being and it, it and as you've said it really isn't it isn't yeah at, at all i mean i i've never as i suggest anyone not to be nice uh but it comes down to to, to kindness so i was reading something very interesting the other day actually um there's different kind different types of kindness and sometimes it's it's very very insincere and as I was reading this article, I was thinking of the um, um, the, the situation you might have in class when you're asking to sit up, and you've got the, the child who's always naughty, is always the first one to sit up straight like this. Uh, and you think, well, I can see through that. The other children must be able to see through that as well. Um, you translate that to an adult situation, and you've got an adult actually ask it acting in that manner but deep down is actually more scathing and cynical towards people that that becomes a more challenging experience for teachers um true kindness is actually probably based on respect and if you're actually respectful of the people you're working with and you are respecting the what they bring then that kindness will have more meaning to it and and it's the same for, to replace kindness with well-being and that's what it comes to it's it, it's based on as i said knowing people but having thorough respect for what they bring um 
there's an expression which uh, Chris Dyson, who I interviewed for the book, said to me, you look after your staff, they'll look after you. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chris is no fool. You know, Chris is a character on Twitter. There's people who know him and he's been on television quite a lot. He, but he knows his stuff and you don't, uh, you don't play, you don't play him for a fool. Um, but he's got your back. Um, and he knows, knows that and he knows how to play the game with people. Uh, he, he knows he might be causing a bit of a problem, but he, he plays that very well. Mm. I think it's quite interesting because with regard to well-being within early years, um, Ofsted, there's, there's quite a lot in term, um, from like Department for Education and from Ofsted with regard to teacher well-being. There's actually very little guidance with regard to early years practitioner well-being and we have we, you know we did see the preschool learning alliance mind matter survey and we know that Ofsted have taken some steps to um, address um, workload issues and, and things that affect well-being issues within early years but we've only had well-being within our education inspection framework for a little over a year now so we are still very much operating in that particular mm -hmm. Um, and I know there could be some perhaps criticism for trying to organise an early years wellbeing week, but we, we very much know that, you know, it, it, wellbeing can't be achieved within a week or within a tick list. And we have to be very mm -hmm. careful about um, activities or ill thought out things that we force people or pressure people into taking part in. Mm -hmm. But the, the point really is to use this week as a catalyst for change or to raise awareness and educate people on mental health because people there seems to still be this reactionary measure where a lot of the early years workforce kind of reach crisis points so burnout stress fatigue insomnia um, you know leading to more serious mental health issues and and even indeed illness anxiety depression to just kind of name a few and so we still see people say um, across social media, I'll see people say things like, what can I do for staff wellbeing? I've got a basket in the toilet. Um, I've, I've put some chocolates in the staff room. And, you, you know, we're seeing people now saying, well, it's not really about that, but still that that need is there. And unfortunately, because of the way Ofsted regulators sometimes, people use things as a tick list. That's exactly how they do it. So they want to just tick off. Oh, I've got this evidence for Ofsted here. I've got this evidence. And it is really just moving past that, isn't it, to that culture. And you kind of talked about, you know, those principles, really. Um, oh. um, I suppose I'll just talk, talk some more about how perhaps if people are listening to this for the first time and they're thinking, because I think as well, when you work with children, you kind of pride yourself on being a good person. You pride yourself on being kind and a wonderful human. Um, and actually, you know, that, as we've just said, it's not, it's not possible. So if people listen to this for the first time and thinking, crikey, I want to do more, but where can I start without sending myself into a tailspin? What, what could people start to do, do you think? Um, you know, those tweets about where, you know, what's my starting point, that's often so difficult. I actually answered two, answered one in the week. Um, so I'm going to speak to my head, my head teachers my, and my, my senior leaders, what do, what do I do? And I think my response to that was, it's got to come into the culture of the school. Yeah. And that is so difficult for um, someone who, for example, in a middle leadership position yeah. to try and lead because if 
it's something that's something that's been cast aside to them to do. They're going to find that very difficult because that they're, they're going to do things like the the cake and the fruit and the yoga and the yogurt and the um, bit of mindfulness and meditation, which in themselves are all great, but they might be activities and not a culture. Because uh, this is one of one of my soundbite quotes is half of what we do in school is about relationships and culture and the other half is about culture and relationships because ultimately you're talking about an organization which involves people uh, as they all do but for schools it's all about people because you're dealing with little people and the culture's got to be there you've got a culture where you want to look after everyone because if they don't feel looked after the children aren't going to feel looked after as well. The two have got to come together. And if you've got a workplace where people are feeling under pressure, constantly criticised, micromanaged to the point of counting how many pencils you've got in your room, that is a point where teachers and other practitioners are going to find it just too much and the happiness they want to put into their classroom can't possibly happen genuinely because they are not working in a happy place for themselves. And that's why it's crucial. It's all, it all comes down to actually having those good relationships. Now, that middle leader might have some great ideas, but if they haven't got the buy-in from the leadership of the school, then that's going to go nowhere. And there's an example I give when um, I've done presentations, and I ask everyone to imagine imagine a well-being lead. Let's call them Sam or Alex. It's a fairly non uh, non-gender specific name, and um, they're going to come and talk about well-being. And uh, so Sam and Alex come up very enthusiastically and. Uh, they come up with these great ideas about how we're going to have mindfulness meditation we're going to have yoga club after school on a Friday and then you see the leaderships chip back in after they've come up with this great presentation with right this is accountability measures we're going to be looking at learning walks next Wednesday books in on the Thursday etc and they just bring the mood right down straight away so all those efforts that Sam all the Sams and Alexes are going to out there are often beaten down by subsequent subsequent interactions by people who perhaps don't have the understanding of it or don't want to or are incapable of taking that further yeah and and i suppose that's what that's really difficult because going back to that quote that you said about chris dyson you know look after staff and they will look after you i i think sometimes in in you know, early years and in education, sometimes we can get sidetracked or, or I know, especially in early years, leaders and managers, because there are so many different roles and responsibilities that they have, they delegate out a lot of those leadership roles that involve, you know, staff supervision, appraisals, one-to-ones, those real opportunities to kind of, uh, you know, share that open and honest or create that culture of open and honest communication. Mm. those opportunities become missed because they they be, have just become a tick list and yeah. so it is going back to that 
you know, your staff are the most important part of your setting because how can you welcome children and families in and offer any kind of quality provision if your team aren't certain of their roles or responsibilities in the first place? And I think very often, um, sometimes if roles are given to somebody without a particular level of experience or if their model has been... Um, perhaps come from someone who's not set the best example, that's often very, very tricky. Um, one theme I pursued in the book was the uh, was workplace bullying. Um, wasn't originally intending to do a particularly large section on it, but a pattern started emerging from the, the feedback I got in my research. Because um, so I expected there'd be lots of, um, lots of particular bullying came from senior leadership, so I thought I'd, I'd see. And there were, there were examples of that, and some of which wasn't um, particularly pleasant. But then I was getting more and more examples coming through of bullying coming on from other parts of the workplace. And this is something that the wellbeing leader needs to be aware of. Um, and it's very sad to hear that I, I had lots of people talking about middle leaders um, not being very supportive about well-being and I think that comes from the fact they're promoted too early to a middle leadership role um, perhaps within a year or two and the model they might have had is we're in a leadership role I've got to monitor and monitor you need to be critical and critical means finding bad things about it that well that's not how monitoring works criticism is not about being negative criticism is about being constructively critical, having a look what's working, having a look what's not working, and looking for solutions, which can come, I think, should come through um, coaching conversations. Um, so that was one particular thing that came through. And the other thing um, that came up was a lot of bullying situations came often from support staff. And again, that was just one you, do, you don't think they're, they're in a position where they've got particular authority, but again, within the culture of the school, they often are those who are in, in touch, closely in touch with the parents or have been there for, for a long time and don't like change. And um, you know, younger, more inexperienced staff may sometimes fall under that particular influence. And that has, has impacts which um, sometimes take people out of the school and sometimes out of the profession because of the, the negative experience they've had. What I'm thinking as you're describing that is, and again, I'm bringing it back to kind of early years in that there is very little training really. Um, and quite often you will find that with regard to experience and you know, with the experience will have come that opportunity to partake in different training, but often leaders, room leaders or, um, you know, deputy managers, whatever, they will have never really ever been on any management or leadership training. They'll have never had any support to have these difficult discussions or, and so then it's, it's going back to how we can talk about um, constructive criticism and talking about learning walks and monitoring and all those types of things that we all, earlier settings are all required to do, but never really had the opportunity or the time to be able to access this, this training for their, mm. for their own professional development. And so we've kind of created this space where we're expecting people to do all of these roles and responsibilities without having the, the training and the knowledge, but 
we, it's almost kind of cultivated this space where we're afraid to say, actually, I've never done any of this training, so I'm not quite sure what I need to do. Instead mm. of that, it's almost like we've got this armour on where it's like we, we don't do anything wrong. <laughs> we're, 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 you know, and because it's an emotive job role as caregivers, you know, we're giving and giving and giving our all, and it's never ever quite good enough. We've created this unhealthy space where we were scared to ever say we haven't got it wrong. And so just to have these conversations where we can be like, actually, do you know what? How can I do this, this part of this job role? Or how do they expect me to do this if I've never had any training um, to support my skills in this area? Exactly. That's, and that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the gaps, where the, one of the gaps is. And this is, mm. why, this is about making me, um, well-being meaningful people need to have that experience to do that and if we simply throw people into roles which um which we do we advertise we just come along and do one one particular job but if we don't take the time and this is where it's it's quite tricky in schools you get five training days a year and there's other priorities obvious priorities safeguarding for example takes up a lot of that um but I think we, we need to put well-being and the way we speak to, we, the way we look after each other, really into as much of the culture as we can. Uh, and perhaps not just into the training day, because um, it's great having a well-being training day in September, um, you know, and having some Indian head massage and, uh, and uh, some uh, vegan muesli, for a, one of a better expression. Uh, but what good is that when it comes to November and it's the midst of the flu season and you've got deadlines looming? Um, that that session you had in the in the sunshine, the early autumn, isn't going to be very helpful at that particular time. Um, what will, is more helpful is that the fact that people feel supported, and this is why it's not doing a thing. Well-being in many aspects is very is abstract, so it's. It can't be seen, but it, it's there. The culture and the support is there. It's not physically scaffolded, but it's it's there within the way you talk to support. Will allow people the opportunities event and be there when they realise that they may have made a mistake in that and accepting that mistakes happen. Mis accept that we we can't go through every day perhaps not having a sound off you're going to get you're going to get staff up your shout at each other but if they apologize and they come afterwards and it's genuine that is the sort of thing that good well-being actually looks like and and, and building building back from that it's like if you think of you know any household any any relationship you know it's not all it's not all roses around the door, <laughs> you know. We'll have up, you know, up, ups and downs, but overall, in the course of uh, the course of time, um, yeah, that that what holds a good relationship together is being able to deal with those challenging situations. And it's the same in any work, any workplace as well. You deal with that challenge because it's not going to be the, the 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 idealistic 1950s type school where um, where where children come come skipping in with their baskets of uh, bus, baskets of apples for the teachers. It doesn't happen like that anymore, and probably never did. 
but it's recognizing that you can put right what has gone wrong if it feels genuine and I mean, that's one of the that's one of the crucial things i think we need to have in place if we're making sure our our teachers are feeling in a good place yeah absolutely i think the issues that arise there when we're kind of thinking about those things especially as we find where we find ourselves in this year um as we've already said with kind of covid and winter approaching we're almost kind of trying to prepare ourselves for winter yeah. um, for what is about to come and so you know it's very difficult isn't it because one-off gestures as we've said i think and especially what i've seen to ha happen is it becomes a bit of a vicious circle so actually people who are whether they're the well-being leads or whether it's the leaders or managers who put on these you know or make these gestures that just become um you know tokenistic they start to resent the people <laughs> who haven't graciously received the chocolate bars or whatever yeah. Um, well-meaning or just ill-intentioned gift that it's been and it creates this kind of this, this danger then of, of this um, resentfulness and just sometimes just an atmosphere that, that isn't you know mentally healthy um, you know there will be lots of settings and schools out there who maybe haven't got the culture down or the you know all of these things that we've talked about with regard to principles and well-being and so about to you know we're facing a really challenging time but so i suppose what are some things that maybe you are doing or you've seen or heard that that people are doing really well at the moment to authentically take care of and prioritize well-being in this world that we're in yeah, well, right at the moment, um, so we're under a you know, great deal of, of pressure. I mean, the biggest, the biggest pressure is uh, dealing with bubbles. If that bubble bursts, uh, you've got somebody who's off with suspected infection or uh, isn't has got the infection, um, is is making sure that uh, there's no blame no blame culture, you know, nobody deliberately gets infected, nobody's deliberately exposed, I'm afraid that's the way viruses work. Um, but in most schools, the, the, there, isn't, there isn't infection, there isn't some, but it's that, it's that fear that it's there. So I think one of the, the, the important things to do is to take, take the pressure off in, in something. We're here in the, the autumn term, which is a crucial term, um, in many ways it's where you set your routines and you've got any normal autumn term would have your harvest festivals your remembrance festivals your nativities um it's not really possible to deliver those in certain ways but i think teachers would like the opportunity to try and do something with those so they've got that element of familiarity so enabling them to have that aspect of familiarity in its own way in their own particular setting I think would be very very helpful but we also need to think about other kinds of pressures and about parents evenings now we can't possibly have parents evenings we've got parents tripping through the school in an evening because if you're trying to keep the integrity of bubbles that's simply not going to work so how do you replace that um, I've heard of schools which are replacing it with with online zoom calls uh, which is great when you're trying to get three people together, but if you're trying to get a teacher and 30 parents, and you know what parents are like turning up on time at parents' evening, um, 
that's going to be tricky to do. Um, so what else do you replace that with? Do you replace it with a written report, but you're trying to minimize written reports? So what does your written report look like? Does that become a tick list? Um, we already spoke about tick list, but is that something that might be better? Uh, it, it's things like that. It's recognized taking out those additional pressures that are important. Um, one thing that's worked quite successfully here is that we are um, we are closing earlier. Uh, the caretaker, yeah, blessing, will stay as long as people want to stay. But the encouragement there is for people to go earlier. So what beforehand was when it, a culture where some people stay till six, which is fine. If they want to do everything at school until six and then go home with nothing, that's great. Um, but if people want to be gone at half past three and take a pile of books with them, again, that's equally okay. Um, so we're trying to encourage people to, to, to not stay around for too long and actually try and take as much time as they can. Uh, we are endeavouring to make sure that PPA is protected. Um, it's had a bit of bit of um, juggling with things, but we haven't got, um, we haven't, for example, got teachers taking PPA in their car, which I have heard has happened in some places. At least they are able to do it um, from home in some cases um, and trying to find a space that they can work in for others. So they're not, again, not doing PPA in a cupboard without Wi-Fi connection, which, which wouldn't be very helpful at all. So it, it's, 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 it's things like that, Look, looking at ahead, and um, one of the key things I've always thought is well-being. It's proactive, not being reactive. Think, think ahead. Uh, one thing I've always believed in is things like setting a school diary. Uh, plan out the whole year in advance. So in, in a, in a non-COVID year, teachers would know exactly now in September which date in June sports day is, when in July they need to get their reports out when in December they will be doing their plays and performances, when their class assemblies will be. So there's no surprise that that's all known well in advance. I think we need to be applying the same sort of thinking thinking here. Yes, we can. We can count the day down to half term of Christmas. But let's think about taking the pressure off up to that point so our teachers get there in the way we want them to say we are feeling very tired now but let's not add to that let's get through to half term christmas without unnecessary pressures i think is that it's, it's an important thing that we need to do yeah absolutely and i think that's something that most definitely um earlier setting especially like pvi settings if they're not based within a school setting it is about that thinking through um, in terms of getting organised and knowing what's ahead uh, to alleviate and relieve some of the stresses that are that we face anyway, but to kind of relieve some of those during this COVID time. And I think as well, it goes back to what you're saying about knowing your the people that you work with really well and genuinely caring about them and not mm. adding any pressure, any additional pressure on there. Kerry, what do you think? Yeah, so I've just been listening along really to, to some of those kind of re key pointers. And I think the thing that's been playing on in my mind throughout the, the chat is um, 
when you were talking, Andrew, around workplace bullying, and I think we kind of we brain snagged on that a little bit because I thought when mm-hmm. we think about training and we think about well-being training and training that's involved around relational approaches, um, bullying is not something that people feel comfortable to talk about as a really intrinsic part. And I think most people that you speak to have likely had an experience where mm-hmm. they either felt bullied or have felt in the role of the aggressor. And I think that is something that needs to be spoken about more openly. We need to be able to actually reflect on some of those experiences because I don't think anybody sets out with the intention to bully or to, to be aggressive in yeah. their role. Um, but there are some out, outdated approaches that we have in education that we believe that, you know, as, as you were talking around, mm. monitoring, becoming more about accountability and criticising rather than actually supporting the progressiveness and, and the um, thriving of, of staff and, and teachers and practitioners. So I think that, that for me, as I've been listening along, I've been like, actually in the early years, we do not talk about bullying. And I think because we see it in young children, we don't yeah. want to be associated with those terrible behaviours that we think are childish, but actually as adults, um, and my yeah. job, I actually left because of a workplace bullying incident, um, you know, a year long of being bullied by a senior manager, and it just completely broke me. But yet, I very rarely speak about it because there is a shame attached to that. So, and I think when people are feeling exhausted in a pandemic, feeling Christmas tired, feeling the accountability to meet multiple needs, um we may see more of those behaviors so that's kind of where my brain has been while i've been listening along yeah it's um one thing one thing that i've come to realize is also i've written for for teachers but actually much what i I say is actually applicable to any workplace um you know civil service hospitals police armed forces all those sort of um any any public service location and perhaps even private actually need to think about how how you look after your how you look after your staff what sort of things you expect from them um uh, you know i I base all things on my own experience what i've seen what i've done over the course of uh 27 years but um there are there are are things applicable to other um other workplaces as well which i'm sure resonate with what what's gone what i've written about and there are there are many things like like kate said we could probably talk all afternoon about uh, about a number of issues but there um it's important to recognize um it's it's behaviors and relationships that that ultimately will will keep our, our colleagues in the workplace in the way we wish and they wish to experience it yeah, and I think a key part of that is self-awareness, isn't it? And I think some people are more self-aware than others. Um, you know, some people, I know through my experience of mental health issues, I openly talk about the fact I think it's made me more um, emotionally intelligent. It's made me have more empathy and kind of connect and be more self-aware. Um, I mean, I, I previously worked in a setting where I, I would say we had a culture of paranoia because yeah. our leadership team didn't like to directly tell you 
things that they weren't happy with, but yeah. they made it aware in, in staff meetings or in different spaces and, and, and it became toxic and unhealthy. And so I'm just listening, yeah. you know, is, was it bullying? Uh, you know, I don't think it went that far, but it certainly yeah. had a massive impact on a lot of us within that setting because we, we were never sure whether we were the ones that had done something wrong, how it was aimed at us, how it was fed back in front of, um, you know, a whole staff team in staff meetings. It was, you know, all of those things uh, make a difference. And if you can kind of have that self-awareness where you're like, actually, my inability to have direct conversations with people about issues that are arising with regard to performance management are having a huge impact on the whole school environment. I think that's... You know, that's a big thing. Yeah, it is exactly in situations like that. You've just described how um, you're thinking, oh, are they talking about me? Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, and then sometimes if things are said and it's very obvious through the subtext which person is being spoken about, that must feel so demeaning. Humiliating. Under a room full of people. Yeah. Yeah, that does happen, I and mean, that's something we need to be need to be aware of. Yeah, um, how somebody feels, and one thing I always say is to everyone is think about what you say, how you say it, uh, and who you say it in front of, as as well. Because um, I think all the things like talking behind somebody's back, for example, and some people you know, people like get lucky with gossip, but how is that impacting upon the person you're talking to if you're having a go at somebody, about somebody to somebody else? How's that impacting them? They might be thinking, oh, am I thinking, am I thinking something else about this person? And it's going to have that, it's going to have that, that impact. We need to think about that kind of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I think it's just been really interesting kind of chatting with you. I mean, we could go through all sorts of different things and circumstances. Um, you know, it's really interesting just to be able to kind of, you know, uh, talk things through, especially at this strange time. So if people want to read um, more of your uh, blogs that you mentioned, um, where can we, where can uh, some of the listeners access the, the, the blogs that you've got? Uh, Okay, so I've got um, several, as you said, I've written for the Education Support Partnership. Uh, if you go to their, um, their front page of their, uh, their website, scroll down to the bottom, you've got blog, uh, and there's um, a chronological list of blogs written by a number of myself, but also by my good friends, uh, Adrian Bethune and, uh, and Emma Kell, amongst other people, and uh, Victoria Hewitt as well. Um, my blog, which was my initial wellbeing blog, is at Healthy Toolkit. Uh, if you follow them on Twitter, and uh, you'll find the link then to blogs which I've been writing over the last four and a bit years, um, which have uh, actually seen my journey as a wellbeing writer moving from away from purely um, healthy eating and healthy lifestyles to. Uh, creating healthy cultures and, and, and challenging different aspects of things which, um, which do impact us. And I do include, I've done much writing about social media, importance of um, healthy staff, for instance, for example. So you find plenty of uh, material in there, which I, I have also covered in, uh, in my current book as well. 
Okay, great. Thank you so much. It's been really great talking with you today. Um, and um, there's also obviously the um, Wellbeing Toolkit book that we mentioned, which um, I know we mentioned previously um, is available on Amazon. Um, and um, I know it's relatable, although we've sp spoken about your role within primary education, really relatable, as we said, across all sectors and especially within early years as well. So thank you for taking the time to chat with us today, Andrew. That's my pleasure, Kate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kerry. Have a have a wonderful afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye bye.